Luke chapter 15. Uh, page 75 in the New Testament section of the Church Bible, if that's what you are using. A familiar passage, the parable of the prodigal. We're reading from verse 11. Bless you. You think in a Christian community there would have been a chorus of bless you, wouldn't there? We need more practice people. And then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and travelled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to, and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called out one of the slaves and asked, what's going on? He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. 
Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Where you might want to, if you've had your Bibles open, you might want to keep open with Luke because we're going to return there later. But we're going to turn also to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15. Just two little verses. Every seventh year you shall grant a remission of debts, and this is the manner of the remission. Every creditor shall remit the claim that is held against the neighbor, not exacting from it a neighbor who is a member of the community, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. Last couple of weeks I've been preaching on Sabbath. And um, when I saw this as a, a, a summer series from the narrative lectionary, which is what I've been following for these last couple of years, I kind of thought, well, that's a bit odd, isn't it? Sabbath is about rest, and what's the point about preaching about rest when half the congregation is going to be away resting? At least I hope that you've been resting in your disappearances, off visiting family, far-flung quarters of the, royal, of the world, maybe just sitting in your garden with a pina colada, uh, minding your own business, watching the beauty of the rain in typical English summer. Although, to be fair, we haven't done too badly. But as I've unpacked the subject of Sabbath, um, uh, there have been some truths that have been coming out and and I think that adherence to the command which says to observe the Sabbath is something that we have neglected. And so if this is the first of the three sermons that you've heard, then I hope that there will be value in that as we move forward. I'm going to recap some of the, the journey that we've been making. Um, slide please, Simon. The important thing with Sabbath is one of the things that we've tried to unpack is that Sabbath is not about rules. It's not about law. Jesus famously was walking through the harvest fields with his disciples and his disciples take the, the, the heads of the corn and they rub them and then they blow the chaff and then they start to eat the things and the Pharisees are going to say, oh, but Jesus, that's work. Tell your disciples that off because if you're any kind of a holy person, you know that that's the wrong thing. The, the, the law is very clear about what's work and what's not work and who can work and who can't work. Nobody can do it. And there's your disciples. They're doing work. They're, they're reaping and they're preparing. And you know, it's almost a sin to eat. Jesus points out that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It wasn't about rules. It wasn't about a badge or a way of doing something. 
But there was a deeper principle that was at stake. By the time that the church comes into full force after the day of Pentecost and the good news has gone out to all flung, far-flung corners to the known world as it was then, and you've got Greeks, those heathens becoming Christians, and you're going, well, okay. And they're starting to make up the Christian faith according to their understanding. And so they started to practice things in different ways. Already there's been this major shift from the Sabbath, which was separated, celebrated by the Jews as a Saturday, to being observed on the Sunday as the Lord's Day. Because on the Lord's Day, they celebrated that Christ was risen from the dead. What a better celebration. And so Paul writes in Colossians 2, 16, 17, Let no man therefore judge you in food or in drink or in a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Jesus. The substance is the law. The heart of Sabbath, and I'm going to say more about what I mean by Sabbath, the substance, the heart of it is Jesus radiating out in every sense. And so you might have been brought up, and we've been exploring this, you might have been brought up in ways of observing the Sabbath. I go back to a time as a child when I thought my uh, friend's family were religious nuts because they weren't allowed to watch television on a Sunday. Mind you, we weren't allowed to go out and play either. That was really a miserable place. Paul gives us a guidance that says, don't judge your friend, your neighbor, in the way that they observe Sabbath. But also, let's not use that as an excuse for not celebrating and observing Sabbath. So I think that's been the danger and one of the values in looking at Sabbath for the last three weeks. We, we live in a world that's 24-7. Everything's open all the time. If you want to shop and you've, and you've woken up in the middle of the night, there's Amazon, you'd be on there, and it's there for you at breakfast, delivered with your cereal. You can go out to a, a club or a pub. You can go and eat, you can drink, you can do more or less anything at any time of the day. When do we ever switch off? When do we ever stop? And part of that Sabbath rest is just that. It's about time off. It's breathing. It's recharging the batteries. You look at nature in its cycle of life. It has those seasons of activity and full-on stuff. But then there's this resting. There's this consolidation. Our world today doesn't recognize that. And we're encouraged to be on that rat race, to, to keep on going at a million miles an hour. I wonder how many of you have checked your phone more than half a dozen times just since you've arrived at church this morning. We're completely connected. We don't know how to be disconnected and therefore to find that rest that is purely in God. 
looking at the origin of Sabbath, we've spent some time looking at Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Slide, please, Simon. Uh, this slide is difficult to read, I know, because the print's small, but it, the, uh, the uh, yellow type is the differences that occur in Deuteronomy. And in essence, Sabbath is a command from God, but there are two different motivations that are given. In Exodus, which is that point when the, the Israelites have gone into the desert, they're a nomadic community. And they receive the law, not once but twice, of course. And it said, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And it goes down to verse 11 and it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. He rested on the seventh Not because God needed a rest. Not because he was tired or worn out but because he wanted to model something for us. And you think about the wisdom of that command be given to a, a nation who are wandering around in the desert to have a day when they could fix their feet, wash their hair. They were even let off from the idea of having to collect manna and quail because they would collect twice the day before the Sabbath. But it also meant that the people of God focused on God. They stopped. They weren't thinking about where they were going, what terrain that was on, when the next meal was coming through, where was the water coming from. They weren't thinking about who were going to be the enemies that were lurking around the next bend. They just focused on God. And at the heart of Sabbath is that vertical relationship between man and God. But in Deuteronomy, there is a shift. Deuteronomy is written as the people of God are about to go into the promised land. They're going to be encountering different kinds of issues and problems. There, the Sabbath, or the motivation, motivation for Sabbath, comes at the uh, verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe Sabbath. And that Sabbath applied to everyone. It applied to, to servants. It applied to animals. Do not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, your manservant, or your maidservant, nor your ox, or your donkey, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. That's the outsider. I'm not talking about green men with horns or whatever. Everyone should do no work. And we've been exploring that Sabbath, therefore, is not only this vertical thing about us focusing on God 
and remembering that God is God who created everything and is in control of everything. But Sabbath is also about our relationships with each other. I've grown in my appreciation of us gathering. Recognizing the opportunity that it has for us to build relationships, to to support one another in different ways. To go off for coffee, to meet for that chat, to offer to do some laundry because somebody's washing machine has broken down or whatever it might be. Practical help and support. When we gather as church, we don't do so as individuals, completely impervious and ignorant of the needs of those around us, or at least we shouldn't be. And instead, we are open-hearted. Vertical and horizontal about recognizing that holiness of God and that desire that he has for us to grow in his image. And that image reflecting our relationships with one another. And last week we were looking at John 15 and that encouragement to abide in him. To abide in him. Can we go forward to this is my commandment? And again, thank you. And as we abide in him, so Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I want to suggest to you that this is the heart of Sabbath. It's not about trying to think whether or not we're adopting Jewish customs and, uh, and bringing them and Christianizing them. We have done that historically, but this is something deeper. We haven't just simply replaced the phrase, the Sabbath, with the Lord's Day. But in our world, we've made it completely different. And, and I want to encourage us to go back to putting God in the center and allowing his ripples of his love to flow out from us as individuals, but from us as a community. We're in the process of building a new website, and Simon's doing a, a, a great job with that. And, uh, and I don't know where this will go, but I, I don't know if it'll be a, a strap line or what, but suddenly the phrase that comes in the Market Street Church, not a place... With a community. It's what we are. I think it's probably fueled by the fact that every time I say Market Street Church, and they go, Yeah, I don't know where that is. And I've got them doing little things. He said, Imagine yourself standing on the back with the Civic Hall at your back, and the, 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 yeah, oh, Chinese takeaway. Yeah, yeah, I know the Chinese takeaway. Yeah, well, if you miss the Chinese takeaway and go straight ahead, that's us. For those who are visitors this morning, thank you for inviting us. This is my commandment. 
And as we rest in God, as we find our purpose and our being in God, by stopping, by pausing, by breathing, if only for a moment, we grow in that love and in those relationships. Sabbath. And I want to complete our journey with Sabbath thinking about those two passages that I've read today. The Deuteronomy 15, 1 to 2. It's on this slide here. And next one. Thank you. Again, I apologize for smaller print. This is the New Century version. Um, the, the, the language of the uh, NRSV, every seventh year shall grant a remission of debts. Sounds like Moses was a bank manager. At the end of seven years, you must tell those who owe you anything that they do not have to pay you back. Who'd be happy with that? I remember feeling incredibly guilty because when I trained for Baptist ministry, we were encouraged by the bursar of the college to take out the... It wasn't a student loan then as such, not in the same way as it is now. You, you could get a very small amount uh, divided up between the terms, and, and I think in total it amounted to around about £6,000 over a three-year period. And we were encouraged to do that because... Um, it was the repayment was means tested the same as it, it is currently, and uh, the bursar made us all feel guilty by saying, "If you stay in ministry, you will never be above the threshold of pay to have to pay this back." <laughs> How right he was! <laughs> but it still continues to accumulate uh, interest, and so the the loans company would send out that threatening letter saying, uh, "Since." They, you took out this loan, your debt, and it used that word, your debt has grown by. And I panicked. I panicked, and I was in a situation where I could manage to afford to pay back. So I'm saying, I can, I can pay a little bit back. I can pay a little bit. I was feeling worried, this kind of thing. And, um, and then there was a point when I turned 50, and I had this letter saying, your debt has been cancelled. And then I regretted paying back the bits that I'd paid back. <laughs> Why had I been so naive? Why had I been so... We feel that. We feel that beholding, don't we? Kind of, oh, it's a debt. Got to pay it off. And if you're a certain generation, you, you may still be in a situation where you've, other than your mortgage, you've never had a debt. You've never taken out a loan. You've never borrowed. The idea of having stuff under the never, never, as we used to call it, completely goes against the grain. At the end of every seven years, you must tell you, those who owe you anything that they do not have to pay you back. Everyone who has loaned money must cancel the loan and do not make the neighbor or relative pay it back. This is the Lord's time for cancelling what people owe. Slide please, Simon. 
I remember being amongst those, and maybe you were as well, that as we approached the new millennium, there was a campaign to cancel the debt. There were third world countries that were paying more in interest than the debt that they owed. Governments such as ours wrote off huge amounts. They cancelled debts. It's not about letting people off. It's about being generous of heart. Open-handed, the Bible says. And this is an extension of the principle of Sabbath. You see, if we're connecting to God and we're connecting to each other, we also need to connect to our world. We need to be living in a way that's countercultural, where we are recognizing our value is in God, not in our bank balances, not in the cars that we drive, not in the holidays that we're able to um, brag about. But our Sabbath is in God. Matthew 6, 12. The Lord's Prayer, it says, Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. You might like saying the Lord's Prayer with forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Both are accurate and right. I've been listening to Pete Gregg's book, uh, Teachers to Pray, or whatever the title is, and I've got to that point where he uses this phrase and he says, you know, how many of us, when we come to the Lord's Prayer, would like to take that line out? Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. In the instruction given in Deuteronomy, it goes on to talk about, um, well, it's the avoidance of usury. It's it's the avoidance of of, um, using a debt against somebody. It says that when you've got to the sixth year, if you've got people that owe you money, don't squeeze them to pay it back before the seventh year and you're going to let them off. And if sometimes we lack the grace to forgive, Do we lack the grace to let go? And that's the reason why in understanding forgiveness and in understanding God's grace in Sabbath that the parable of the good of the prodigal son speaks so loudly. When we read this parable in the light of Sabbath, then we read it in the light of relationship, so we begin to understand something different. 
slide, please. And again. Filled with love and compassion, the father ran to the son, embraced him, and kissed him. Was this after the big eloquent speech about, oh, Father, I've done so badly by you. I've taken all your money. I've spent it. I've lived a life that I'm really totally ashamed of, and now I'd like to come back home. No. No words have exchanged. In fact, the, you can just imagine the scene that the, the son is still rehearsing his lines. He hasn't even dared look up towards the family home in case somebody sees him. He has to make eye contact or be acknowledged, and he doesn't want to do that. But the father who has been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting sees the son and runs, filled with love and compassion. The son begins that explanation and the father is immediately saying, get a robe, get a ring, get the fatted calf, we're going to have a party. You see, the status of the, the son that had returned was not in his apology. It was not even in the humility it was not in that contriteness, that repentance. The identity of the Son is in the Father who lavishes the good things upon him, the blessings upon him. Slide please, Simon. And that's what the older brother and sometimes we struggle to understand. See, the longer we go on as Christians, we think that we've maybe done enough to earn our salvation. We've done to the Bible study groups. We have a good routine with our prayer life. We read our Bibles. We've served on the diaconate. We've been part of a flower rotor or whatever it might be. We've earned our way. We are good enough. We have a right to be here. But in truth, the only reason we can be here is because of God's love poured out on the cross. Because the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the way, the sin of the world, died in our place. Our rest is in the identity of the Father, not in our achievements, not in our wealth, not in our importance, but in God alone. And so I encourage you to observe the Sabbath. Slide. Pause to be, to think of God. 
A few weeks ago, I spoke of the mnemonic used by Pete Gregor, pray, pause, rejoice, ask, yield. It's a great start. We try and imitate it in our worship. Will you yield to God's command? Not because he's bigger than you. but because his love invites you to. And as we focus on that relationship with him and we see how he gathers us so that we might relate with each other, that we might be open-handed and open-hearted in our generosity as a community to each other and to those whose lives we can make a difference to. We're not we are protesting against injustice in, injustices in our world if we are serving on a mission field somewhere or just simply being faithful in our praying and our seeking after God. To grow in Sabbath. Focusing God. Being conduits of his love and his power. Because his grace is everything for us. Let's pray.